Here on the beautiful tropical paradise island of Puerto Rico, we have had the opportunity to meet many amazing people. One such individual is Theo Agranat. A Bitcoin OG, Theo has been in the space for a very long time and is now the co-founder of AlphaCrypto.Capital, a firm focused on investing in and advising early stage blockchain projects. We go down a bunch of rabbit holes and our only regret is that we didn't have more time to speak with Theo. It's just another sunny 80 degree day in paradise and we welcome you poolside to our episode number 578 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four. Well, we're not really by the pool right now, but Travis has one in his backyard, and I did go to the pool earlier today. Technically, I'm always by the pool, baby. Yeah, I mean, it's like, if you look to the right, it's like right out there. Oh, yeah, and actually, well, no, actually, I'm facing it, but there's a wall in my way. Oh, damn wall, but we know it's out there. And uh, my my tan has just, you know, it's taken taken root. I had to uh, go to my chiropractor this week, and he looked at me, he's like, your color is really good. Like, your, your skin, you know, looks healthy, and I don't think he was commenting on the color of my skin so much. I think it was like, you are sexy, y'all. Mm. Well, there was that too. He wasn't wrong. It's like, look at you being all sexy coming in here for your, for your adjustment. You need to I'm just, more. I'm prepping for 2022, man. I'm going to make 2022 sexy again. Make it 2022, you bitch. <laughs> for sure. It's going to be an exciting year. And we're glad that you guys are here for the ride, the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm Joel Kahn. That's Travis Wright. We are the Blockchain Blockheads. And uh, we are in our fifth year of doing the show. And on the last episode, we talked about making July um, 18th the day that uh, we launched the first show, a holiday of some kind. So we need your suggestions. Why don't you write us at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com and come up with a clever name for what we should call the um, the day that Bad Crypto launched. See what kind of ideas you have. You know, like a mix of the Festivus with Kwanzaa, Christmas, 4th of July, plus Thanksgiving. So just mix it all up in the one magical internet. <laughs> By the way, some of you may have been offended by our last show. Um, and I just want to say on behalf of both of us, we don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's- yeah. There's just, it's just like, there's comes a time when you just speak the truth and if you don't like it, it is what it is. You don't have to like it. It's okay. Right. But, but we're always saying things that we resonate as truthful and so do your own research. And if you go down the right rabbit holes, you're going to discover a lot of that shit's right on. So, well, wh- whether it is or not, being offended is actually a sign of weakness, your own personal weakness. If you know, so if I'm offended because somebody else said something I don't like, my offense is my issue. My taking offense over that, it means I've got something in me that I need to look at. Uh, because, you know, if you make a big deal about being offended by something that somebody else has said or done, welcome to the real world. Seven and a half billion people, not everybody's going to think like you. And how incredibly self centered is it to think that they should? I'm offended by that. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Personal weakness. That is true. Maybe, maybe what, what they could do is maybe, I don't know. 
stop being a bitch. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that will help is listening to today's interview that we did uh, with Theo. This guy is uh, super smart and um, following up on this. Actually, he texted me today uh, asking when the episode was coming out because we did the interview about 10 days ago. So it's coming, Theo. It's coming. Uh, but he wants to get together and, and hang out and talk about some other stuff with us off the record. Yeah. Sharp dude here in Puerto Rican. We are all Puerto Ricans now. And uh, this right here, do we, have a, do we have anything else we got to say before leading into this? We have nothing else that we need to say leading into this. Right on. Check it out with the one and only Theodore Agronaut. It doesn't take a decade to become an OG in the crypto space. I mean, to be an OG in the Internet, you got to be back to the, the mid 90s. But with crypto being such a newer technology, somebody who's been in it, well, <laughs> Some people consider us OGs, but we've only been doing the show since 2017. We're faux Gs. We're not OGs, Trav. <laughs> we're little baby Gs. Maybe yeah. we're medium Gs at this point. We're more like the BGs. Okay. Yeah. But the, the AGs, the A-list OGs, were those that were in 2010, 11, 12, 13. And today we have one of those with us he is actually here on the island of puerto rico along with us his name is theodore agronet and he is bad aren't you theo absolutely bad since 2012 in crypto fantastic uh, you uh you were working on crypto related ventures back then and um now you are with alphacrypto.capital is the website we're going to talk about all kinds of things in the crypto world, but maybe to start out, what did you do before you discovered crypto? Before I discovered crypto, I was in tech startups that I had started since 1998 working in, uh, mostly IT and technology, software as a service, interactive development, and web design services. Which, by the so way, I, makes you an internet OG too. That is correct, because 1998 was a fairly long time ago, speaking of the 90s and being OG. <clears throat> uh, but then, yeah, then in 2012, uh, discovered Bitcoin at first. Uh, we started an operation to mine Bitcoin back then, as well as to arbitrage exchanges. It was quite funny, because back then, due to Chinese capital controls, you could buy Bitcoin in the US and sell it for 10% more the next day on a Chinese exchange. That's some serious time. OG stuff right there. Well, the serious OG stuff comes into play when you find out that uh, you had uh, three to five days of hold on capital as well as tiny, tiny, tiny uh, limits on how much you could buy and sell. So back then, the big deal was to meet actually all the exchange founders and get around all these limits and the hold on the capital in order to be able to turn it over quicker. So that was the real OG stuff. So what kind what kind of, of limits were there back in the day? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that that um, you know aren't aren't you know such an OG. I mean, 2011, 2012, been doing stuff on exchanges. So I mean, that's that's a long time ago. What kind of limitations were there back in the day? Because I wasn't aware of that. Well, let's start with the fact that we're talking about Bitcoin being at 300, 400, 500, 600 dollars. Let's start with that, right? So uh, when I say the limit was you know 10, 20, 30 Bitcoin. It sounds like a lot uh, today, but it was actually very, very tiny back then. So in order for you to move $100,000 over Bitcoin, you just couldn't do it. Number one, that was the hold. And number two, 
you were limited to like 10 grand a day or something like ridiculously low like that. So uh, it was just not very effective to arbitrage with small amounts like that, that would then also help for five days and help for five days on both sides, right? The buying side and then the selling side as well. Mm. So the deal was to build relationships with the exchange founders and make sure that they liked you and make sure that they, you know, adjusted those limits in, in your favor. Mm. See that that can't be completely true because I'm looking here at the Bitcoin obituaries and Bitcoin was declared dead at around three hundred dollars. So, well, I are we talking it was, it was about declared. the same thing? Yeah, no, it, it's a totally different Bitcoin because the the other Bitcoin that we're talking about died at, at ten dollars and a different Bitcoin arose. Right. Uh, you know, from the ashes that died at thirty dollars at infinitum. I think what three thousand two hundred and twenty two times. I think. Bitcoin yeah, so for there. those who aren't familiar with the uh, the Bitcoin obituary page, I'm going to link it in the show notes. It's on 99bitcoins.com. And there's a new one that just came out on the 17th of December, 2021, a CNBC article saying Bitcoin may not last much longer. <laughs> you know, you'd think, <laughs> you'd think that after so many so-called prophets and pundits calling it dead and being wrong that you would not have the cojones at this point to to say the same thing that everybody else has been wrong about and all of a sudden you're going to be the one that's going to be right well a bad a broken clock is correct at least once every 24 hours and i think that's what they're hoping for right that eventually something will happen uh in the distant future where they'll be like oh see you know, <laughs> because Bitcoin gets renamed. Oh, see, I told you guys that the original Bitcoin is dead. I don't know. It's a very, very interesting, interesting uh, question. I think uh, primarily they're just playing to the audience and are trying to, you know, create sensationalist headlines and follow the principle of any press is good press. <laughs> it was really, really crappy press <laughs> to be peddling the same nonsense. But uh, that's my own explanation. I have no other explanation. Otherwise, do you uh, think it's possible to kill Bitcoin? I mean, my understanding is it is unstoppable money because it's decentralized. Uh, you know, that is absolutely correct. Yeah. T- talk short, more about that. Sure. Short of short of every single computer network in the world, you know, blowing up. There's absolutely no way to stop Bitcoin. How are you going to stop Bitcoin? Okay. All the nations could band together and say, let's ban Bitcoin and let's ban TCP IP as well and let's ban HTTP and let's just ban the internet altogether. Let's just ban technology. Go back to horse and buggies. Uh, from my perspective, that's absolutely an unfathomable task. And any country that does attempt to do so, as some countries, of course, have India, China, etc., they're simply going to be left behind in dust. In the dust. So if tomorrow, uh, in my opinion, the US just declares, you know, all these computer networks illegal, turns off all the fiat on and off ramps that they do have, of course, control over vis-a-vis the banking system, other countries are going to eat the lunch of the U.S. And the U.S. is going to be just left behind. All innovation and entrepreneurs in that space are going to move to other countries. And then that's the end of it. But other countries are going to jump on that. They would love that if that were to happen, because whoever is embracing that or would embrace that if the U.S. were to go down that path will become the next superpower. So it's it, obviously that would be ridiculous, right? So it's clearly extremely unlikely to happen. Therefore, Bitcoin cannot be killed. Bitcoin cannot be killed. Well, let me ask you this about, you know, let's see what your opinion is on this. Because a lot of people are talking about that they think there's a time when a flipping is going to occur when Ethereum is worth more than Bitcoin. And at some points this year, 
you know, I think we saw, you know, Ethereum worth about half the price. I mean, the, the, the total market cap around half the price of Bitcoin. Do you think in the near future or maybe some distant future, we're going to see Ethereum overtake Bitcoin as the, uh, the top dog? Look, from my perspective, that's, that's, that's the wrong question. Uh, whether that comes to pass or doesn't come to pass, it's somewhat irrelevant. Both of these cryptocurrencies, as well as all the other cryptocurrencies out there, are based on blockchain technology. And that's really the core and the key promise of you know, the, the revolutionary aspects of what crypto does and can do and will do in the future and is already doing now is blockchain technology, not necessarily with Bitcoin or Ethereum or, you know, with a Solana is the Ethereum killer or Ethereum is the Bitcoin killer, etc. Now, I do think that all of these currencies will have a place, all of them, not all of them, but obviously the big ones like Bitcoin will continue existing. But to speculate which one will have a higher market cap and why is, in my humble opinion, irrelevant. What what about the Bitcoin uh, derivatives, the forks? Uh, you know, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV, Bitcoin Gold, Bitcoin Diamond, Bitcoin Paper Hands, Bitcoin Cardboard, Bitcoin Aluminum, Double Super, Bitcoin Toilet Paper, Doge, Shiba. Like, what what's the future of all of the coins that are attempting to do what Bitcoin? does already do they have a future do they have a niche or are they doomed some of them that are good at community building let's say like shiba dodge etc will have a future as a result of the community that will support the underlying token um the ones that are bad at community building will obviously all die out uh, but to think that there's a future for dodge or shiba we can you know have the very, very crucial difference of being able to create and mint more of them, unlike the original Bitcoin protocol where you cannot mint more than 21 million Bitcoins is, is ridiculous. Some people saying that, you know, Shiba could become the next Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> saying it even makes me laugh out loud. Uh, you know, simply don't understand technology, don't understand the fact that you can print unlimited mint, rather, unlimited amounts of Shiba tokens. Um, so those are all, I think, very, very interesting. I would call them social crypto experiments because it's really based around the belief by the holders that there's, there's more to it than just the token. And there is when there's a large enough community and a large enough community agrees that, oh, we're going to, you know, give 5% to animal shelters and we're going to have, you know, uh, pages that talk about, you know, the, the, the virtues of holding the Shiba token that helps all these animal shelters. And you have a million people, two million people, 10 million people holding it and, and advocating for it. And you're going to have a market. You're going to have a floor for the price, uh, give or take, but it will never be a serious cryptocurrency. So, but that's, that's the thing about these meme tokens is that, you know, you get a group of people on TikTok going, buy Doge, let's get Doge to a dollar. Oh, the next one's Shiba. And so it's almost like a coordinated pump and dump scheme by some of these influencers, although they're not necessarily a, a, a traditional pump and dump. It's just people getting excited about some ridiculous shit coin and then getting a whole bunch of other people on board to buy, try to buy it. Then after the fact, it looks like Shiba is like, all right, well, we're going to do NFTs and we're going to do some other stuff over here. And they're actually turning it into an interesting project because they have so much money, it seems like. So it almost seems like Shiba is kind of morphing into something that could be valuable, you think? Well, 
you hit the nail on the head here. Number one, uh, thanks for, for for spelling it out for people that 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 uh, might not realize that all of these endeavors are initially, at least, definitely start out as pump and dumps. Somebody wants to make a big buck on a big bag that they're holding, and they're just gonna say all sorts of things about it. But you're right, Shiba, Safe Moon, and a few others have actually, even though the underlying concept is absolutely preposterous and ridiculous, Safe Moon, right? Well take all of you guys safely to the moon physically impossible but some of them absolutely are morphing into i would say somewhat interesting projects that's why i call them you know social crypto experiments uh they are utilizing some of the fame they're utilizing some of the uh financial resources that uh, they've obtained by growing so big to actually attempt to do some interesting things but let's analyze safe moon for a second right they've announced that they're going to release a decentralized exchange. And by the way, SafeMoon to me is a very, very interesting social experiment. They announced that they're going to release a decentralized exchange, but the premise of the exchange is that nobody will lose money. I mean, come on. How is that <laughs> possible? How, exactly. How, how is that? <laughs> maybe explain right. just on a really high level how SafeMoon works. Well, I mean, at a very, very high level, again, we have no real limits on, on supply, but at a very, very high level, <clears throat> you have uh, people buying the token. As they're buying the token, there's a transaction tax being charged. That transaction tax gets split up into several different components. One component gets burned for all eternity, so it gets removed from circulation. Another component gets airdropped to people that hold SafeMoon in their wallets. And the same thing happens on the selling. So it encourages the holding of the token. It encourages the holding of the token you know, indefinitely because you literally are making money while you hold the token. However, Clearly, at some point in time, people say, hey, I want to cash in. I want to buy a house. I want to turn this token into something that's useful for my regular life. And if enough people decide to do that, then guess who's holding the bag? It's all the new people that are buying in, believing that they get all that they can all safely go to the moon. Sounds like a Ponzi <laughs> so, scam then. I mean, are, are people wrong when they say Ponzi? They, they are not wrong. The only... I don't want to say saving grace because that's giving it too much credit, but the only deviation from it not being a pure full-on Ponzi scheme is the fact that people are believing that this community has value. Therefore, they join in the community and they want to participate in community and they believe that this community could lead to some other interesting things. Therefore, they're going to continue holding the token. That's where it obviously we're into different territory that's that's clearly not a Ponzi scheme but the underlying make no mistake the underlying financial dynamics are absolutely that of a Ponzi scheme now on that note uh i'll bring an example of another very very fascinating but ridiculous project called pulse chain <clears throat> and uh i have people telling me so coming back to community and people's personal beliefs i have people telling me that yes i know but the founder said that me sacrificing, that's what they call it, sacrifice, stay on the, on the good side of the SEC, uh, me sacrificing my tokens to the pulse chain could mean that the founder will buy himself a bunch of Lambos. But I don't care. I'm okay with that. Now, analyze that comment for a second. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But enough people believing that, enough people kind of getting themselves wound up and, and hyped up for this, and they had $625 million, I think, sacrificed. 
Hey, Trav, let me I want to go down this rabbit hole for a minute because you're talking about Richard Hart now. Um, yes. And we've people asked us to have him on the show. He's been invited. And I think one time I don't know what happened. He didn't show or didn't have whatever. And, and but there's people out there that are fanatical, like they follow personalities. Uh, and I guess Hex has I think Hex has brought really good returns for people. I don't it know. Yeah, it has. Um, yes. But Pulse Chain is basically he's forking Ethereum. And my understanding is, is that everything that you hold in your Ethereum wallet from your your Ethereum itself to all your ERC-20s and all your 721s, your 1155s, every NFT you have will be forked. So now you'll have, you know, if you've got a board ape, you're also going to have a board ape on Pulse Chain. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Yeah, they're gonna copy everything over to the pulse chain and then let the concept is let the market discover the true value of these assets on pulse chain. But oh, that's the interesting just part what a of mess. it. Well, of course it's a huge mess, but the interesting part of it is the social experiment aspect of it. I'll keep coming back to that. You'll see me coming back to that all the time when it comes to these shit coins. There's a very, very interesting, I believe, underappreciated component, and that is the social experiment. Some of these things, we have no clue what they're going to lead to. They, of course, obviously look, smell, you know, walk, talk, etc. like Ponzi schemes. Chances are they are. But that underlying component of there being thousands, tens of thousands on, on an unprecedented scale, hundreds of thousands or millions of people that are experimenting with this, that are trying different things, that are basically saying, well, what's the difference between me donating you know, $100 to the Red Cross or me going and spending $100 at the casino, putting it all in red or me buying, you know, some, you know, rare edition DVD of the Matrix trilogy or me just sacrificing $100 to Pulse Chain. So what? Let me do whatever I want to do, right? Let me experiment with this. That is interesting. That is new. That We've never had the ability to do so on such a massively large scale. And I do think that that could lead to some interesting unexpected results and some of them inevitably will be will be positive ones i've seen shit coins turn into actual you know, machines of good for everything from animal shelters to to raising money for hospitals to using them in essence somewhat of a charity token you know bringing people together um, rallying the troops around a common cause those are some interesting side effects of some of these shit coins that i think deserve you know more analysis and uh, will yield some other interesting structures uh, you know in the future that is really bizarre though when you think about it all my shit coins that i have and all these other ones and then now i'm getting duplicate versions of that but it's the like you know yeah it's it's an it's an experiment and the thing is is that no one can tell him not to do it but (laughs) I, i don't see how it's helpful no, of course it's not helpful. And, and let me let me caveat all of that, something that I should have probably done at the beginning of the conversation about shitcoins. I do not hold, nor will I ever invest in tokens that do not have any utility or clear purpose. So I did not invest in Shiba, SafeMoon, uh, none of these things, uh, you know, Hex, etc. Uh, but obviously I'm following these things with great interest because I do see some interesting social structures and experiments coming out of these, you know, shitcoins. Mm. Well, let me ask you this. I know that you're big on NFTs and on the metaverse. So maybe let's talk about some of the projects that do excite you, that do have utility. What, what are you paying attention to mostly right now? What, what, what gets you going? 
So great, great, great segue. Um, the metaverse and the permutations of the metaverse with the additional components of AR, i.e. augmented reality, VR, virtual reality, IoT, Internet of Things, as well as wearable devices such as Apple Watches, Aura Rings, etc., is absolutely something that A, I'm very, very excited about, and B, that I believe very strongly due to geopolitical problems, due to COVID-19, due to potential future viruses that we're going to have, as is predicted by a lot of you know very smart folks in, in, in the biology space, uh, is something that will evolve into a whole new way of folks consuming entertainment, folks socializing, working, co-working, consuming educational content, etc. And on that front, there's a lot of very, very exciting projects um, that are happening some of them we are, you know, invested in through our fund and advisors on Victoria VR, um, VictoriaVR.com launched last week very, very successfully. I might add massively launched uh, Metaverse project, uh, VR Metaverse project. We got PAX World uh, that uh, is not yet launched, but has the ability to run even on a $300 Chromebook so therefore could bring metaverse and VR and AR to the masses. Uh, they have the ability to do like live concerts. They had an event in Germany where people would dance with the virtual avatars in front of a virtual stage, very similarly to what um, Fortnite did with the Marshmallow concert, but with the difference that they had a beer sponsor of that local town sponsor the concert and deliver beer, physical, obviously versions of beer, to the households within that town that all partied while obviously being total lockdown, which in Europe is significantly restricted in, in the US with regards to COVID. So there was literally a virtual party with real beer in a town within this metaverse. How cool is that, right? Um, so yeah, those are some of the projects that are really, really exciting for us. Wait, how did they do the beer? How, what, what, people just get beer delivered to them or something? Or they were Absolutely, yep. So the, local, the local brewing company the local brewing company that sponsored the virtual event physically delivered beer to all of the uh, attendees of that concert, of that ah, virtual event. That's awesome. <laughs> really cool. That's really, really awesome. So they have, you know, video conferencing for businesses within the metaverse. They have these virtual, you know, concerts and events. They have, you know, a partnership with VW where you can go in sit and walk around a 3D version of the new VW car, sit inside with the dashboard, et cetera, interact with the brand and a bunch of other really, really cool things that they have planned coming on the pipe. But between that, between, like you said, you know, NFT ecosystems where we give control back to the user of any skins they purchase, any character upgrades that they get through. I mean, we have kids spending hundreds and thousands of hours of their life, right? Gaming only to then owe absolutely nothing. Sorry, own absolutely nothing. Uh, in the meantime, they've spent thousands of dollars, like my own kids, right? Spent thousands of dollars of their, of their you know, Christmas money and birthday money on skins and pickaxes and backpacks and, and Fortnite or skins and Apex or Call of Duty loot boxes, etc. And yet they have nothing to show for it. I mean, entertainment, great, all good, but they all own none of that. They can't sell any of that. And it, in essence, is locked up for all eternity and obviously eventually deal with interest. Now, enter blockchain gaming where you own your own skins you own your own progress you own all of the assets that you acquire you can now sell them if you don't want interested in the game anymore you could rent them out as guilds now and nft ecosystems one of them girls invested in an advice for called arcade to earn 
We could literally rent out your assets to other folks that still do care about playing, whether that's some folks in the Philippines where that literally could be four times more than what they could earn per week, you know, by playing a game or just, you know, gaming guilds that are really into this type of game, but find the asset is, you know, fairly cost prohibitive. So why not have that asset rented from somebody that doesn't need the asset anymore? And everybody within the ecosystem, including the platform that provides that service, gets paid. I love that space. I do too. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, as always at the beginning of a, uh, an early adopter hype cycle, the media puts out sensational stories and they have these gamers convinced that NFTs are evil. And so there's been pushback, you know, the mob rule mentality from people who have absolutely no idea what they're talking about has forced, um, you know, certain companies like discord to abandon doing NFTs and certain celebrities have backed down when people screech at them for how bad they are and they're like i mean I, i've seen threads where you know i've interjected and said you know in the future you're all going to be having nfts and they're like over my dead body i mean they're so dogmatic <laughs> about what they think is going to happen that what these things are how, how long before all of them will be eating out of the nft hands well, number one, they really should be saying over my dead NFT body, not over my dead body. Let's right. just start with that. <laughs> oh, oh, and the other one, avatar. the other exactly. one that I love is uh, they they right click save as and they're like, now I own your NFT. <laughs> and it's so one of the ones that they I posted was um, a Vox collectible that I use in Townstar.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. It's in the game, yep. and I earn I earn about two hundred dollars a day from having. Mm-hmm these nfts in town star so when they say that i'm like oh you do great well let me know when you're making 200 dollars a day with it of course they go silent like of course what what how well one interesting but two 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 things that i usually address with folks that are just too close-minded right to to see the, the future that this can bring or is bringing already whether they want to or not number one is i ask them so what makes a van gogh a van gogh or a picasso a picasso they go well, it's a unique piece of art. It's awesome and it's you know rare and blah blah. I'm like, I don't know, but let's let's analyze it in a little bit more detail. What, what is it? Like, is it is it a couple hundred dollars worth of you know linen and oil paint and some wood? Well, well, no, it's the artwork on it. Well, okay, well the artwork can be copied and you can have numerous uh, you know editions of it. You know photographs, you know replicas, etc. So and and they usually. Most of them, very rarely, they usually never get to the bottom line. They just don't understand uh, what makes a Picasso a Picasso. And usually fairly eye-opening for them to hear, well, no, the only thing that makes this Picasso a Picasso, right, is Picasso's signature. Nothing else. Literally, that's what makes a Picasso. And there's people being paid a lot of money to differentiate between a real Picasso and a fake Picasso. Right? There's a whole profession of people that do nothing but that. Enter NFT. All it is, it's, it's, it's the same signature. I, I heard a really good, a really good uh, metaphor from, from Gary V. He was talking yep. about a few different things. And he's like, look, we live in a digital world. We're spending all our time on digital. And it's like, if I have a Picasso hanging in my home, how many people are going to see that? Very few people yep. will ever go into my home and see this physical Picasso. But if I have a crypto punk or if I have a bored ape sitting here on my wallet that yep. I can go and see, it's more of a digital, digital sort of a flex than, it, than anything because we all spend our lives in the digital world and we're going to be spending more of our time in the digital world yep. as we all dive into the metaverse. 
And so how is the metaverse going to change our daily life, do you think? Well, so that is exactly the second point I make to folks, right? That whether it's the thought of, you know, the, the rather distant, most likely thought, and for some people crazy thought of relocating to Mars, or whether it's, you know, moving around a lot, becoming the norm now that folks will work from home more often, or whether it's the socializing online being the norm and us not really having you know, a lot of people over at each other's houses if we have COVID-22, you know, next year, uh, whatever the case might be, you hit the nail on the head. How will that person see that Picasso, right? If they're not even going to be in your house, right? They will see it in the metaverse, right? They will see it in all these other areas that a physical object would simply not be practical to display in. Nobody's going to take any physical belongings beyond, you know, at that point, probably a quantum computer powered smartphone to Mars. <laughs> it just ain't going to happen. I move around a fair amount for a variety of reasons. I enjoy living in different locations. The bane of my existence are physical belongings. So obviously a long, long time ago, I cut out all books and everything else that went to Kindle. And that's just the natural evolution of all the other aspects of our life that we carry around in a physical form, whether it's pictures, whether it's artwork, whether it's you know collectibles, where it's certain other items that have a certain rarity value. Uh, we had um, what it was Logan Paul, Jake Paul, I think it was Logan Paul, you know, come to a boxing fight. The ultimate flex was, you know, the little, little uh, Pokemon card hanging around his neck that was worth whatever, a million bucks or something like that. Well, that's going to be the norm in the future, whether it's board apes or boss bulls or any of the other, you know, NFT collections that are fairly rare, you hit the nail on the head. That's going to be the flex. And to answer your question about the metaverse and how it all will, uh, you know, evolve, in my opinion, is we will have co-working spaces in the metaverse. We will have our socializing spaces in the metaverse. What are they going to be outfitted with, right? What are we going to display? All of our NFT stuff. And it's not going to get cluttered because we can have AI organize it and display different things on different days based on, you know, moods or, or the temperature outside or, you know, the analysis of what the most relevant, you know, current theme or news of the days, et cetera. So if we have some... I mean, a little funny Trump pun, but a Trump pun, but, uh, you know, oh, Trump just became president and there's some, you know, Trump and people like, you know, they're, they're next week, you know, my whole uh, metaverse space is outfitted with funny Trump, you know, NFTs and whatnot. So that's, in my opinion, the natural evolution of having our life to a large degree, especially when it comes again to socializing, co-working, working, learning, et cetera, digitized. And the more time is spent in those metaverses doing these things that will in the future not happen as much in the physical anymore, the more valuable these digital assets will become. I'm not sure we're using the term metaverse properly, right? I think when we talk about the metaverse, we're referring to all of these individual uh, virtual worlds, you know, whether it's Sandbox or Decentraland mm -hmm. or CryptoVoxels yep. or whatever. But in its traditional sense, the metaverse, it's one thing, right, where there's interoperability and crossing over between it's a met the a meta verse, like each yep. one of these are their own verse. But then there's a metaverse, which I think is probably what Mark Zuckerberg's big vision is, is to bring it all under my right. control. Yeah. <laughs> I read about this actually yesterday, Joel, it was uh, it was coined in 1992 as the thing after the internet is the metaverse. 
That's so your, your comments on that, Theo? I'm curious here what you think. <clears throat> well, num- number one, let's under the fact that, 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 you know, controlling, controlling everything and centralizing everything uh, on, on the, the meta brand is the most ridiculous thing ever, given where Web3 is going. So good luck, Mark, with that ain't happening. Um, but in terms of, you know, your, your analysis and your correct uh, statement that I'm lo- using the term fairly loosely, and that you know, if we if we if we get down into the details, you're right. The metaverse being a collection of all sorts of different components that we can traverse and bring our belongings, our digital belongings, from one to the other, whether it's a 2D uh, interactive website or whether it is a 3D uh, virtual reality space or what it is an augmented reality space in the physical world. Yes, that would be the true definition of the metaverse, right? The the the, the traversing of all of different spaces while keeping all of my digital belongings with me, controlling my own identity, controlling my own preferences, and carrying those with me and interacting with all these other components through obviously Web3. Um, but I like using the term loosely. I like I like calling Victoria VR a metaverse. <laughs> I like calling Paxical the metaverse. And then obviously the metaverse is all connected in the future. You know, we won't be talking about bridges and 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 uh, metamasks and and decentralized exchanges. It'll all be invisible to the users, one big interactive space that they're entering through some type of a gateway just like we used to have you know google was the gateway you know to or yahoo or even early you know aol you know you log on and you kind of go from that uh, space into all of the other uh, internet spaces that you would visit that's what's going to be the telltale sign is whenever you can take your guy from this metaverse easily move it over to this one cross chain into this thing over there yep like it's just you're, you're fluid yeah so 1992 is a sci-fi novel called Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson, uh, and he basically coined this in the novel's world. Users of a VR-powered post-internet system use the metaverse to escape the world's dystopian reality. And that was 1992. That was 30 years ago, and here we are with the metaverse (laughs) becoming more important on a day-to-day basis. It's kind of wild how that uh, fiction becomes nonfiction. Well, and us escaping the dystopian reality of COVID-19 and obviously things moving into the, you know, less physical as a result of, you know, in essence, a virus that makes us want to stay home and work from home and, and, and interact with the world in a very, very different way than before. It would be unfathomable, right, a couple of years ago for any kind of business negotiation, let alone a really important business negotiation to happen in anything else but a real room, you know, shaking hands, looking at a person in the eye, et cetera. Now it's totally the norm and it's demanded that, no, I'm not going to go drive there. Why in the world would I waste my time sitting an hour in traffic just to shake your hand? We're doing a Zoom call. Um, so, yeah, here we are living in this dystopian reality. So as you see the so-called quote unquote metaverse is developing, uh, who do you think is going to be the one to to lead the way, especially when you look at the uh, scarcity of land in the ones that are most popular right now, right? There's a limited supply in Sandbox, which looks amazing. There's a limited supply in Decentraland, which also, you know, there's some really cool stuff going on. Or is it going to be a completely new player that finds a way to unite it all? Where do you see it going? So those are great questions. Um, I always use the analogy of, dating sites um, back in the 90s and early 2000s um, we're going to have in my opinion 
a lot more decentralized, a lot more sandboxes, a lot more blocktopias, a lot more Victoria VRs. <clears throat> and they're going to be user preference based, right? We're going to have just like in dating where the Christians of New York City, you know, like this is this the most niche dating sites ever uh, that exist. And I think that's what we're going to see with some of these uh, metaverses and virtual realities and, and virtual land. You're going to have some really, really kind of obviously big players, just like right now we have Facebook, you know, and for, for social media and Instagram and Snapchat, etc. But clearly, there's a bunch, right? But then we're going to have all these these tiny little niche players with, with pretty significant size niches that will operate on the premise of catering to a very, very specific group of people for a very, very specific purpose. So I don't think, in that sense, we'll ever run out of land, uh, out of virtual virtual territory. But we, of course, are going to have, you know, like right now, this fairly limited supply of building lots okay none of them, as far as i know right in beverly hills uh we're gonna have you know in the next 10 years no more land sales or no more affordable land sales in the centralized and sandbox and victoria vr but we're gonna have a slew of other you know variations and who knows maybe they'll even come up with a layer two technology within a virtual reality like they're doing now for obviously blockchains uh where you can have then some meta land structure on top of your existing land structure that isn't even within the purview or control of the actual sandbox universe. I, I think so, this is where, um, you know, the, they've limited themselves because limiting themselves is how you make the sale right now, right? To bring yep. people in because there's scarcity and they're going to have a hard time building beyond that. Of course, they've got plenty of time to get there, which is why I'm fascinated by um, what, uh, what Corey Cottrell and M blue have done with uh, uplift world. They've basically built their metaverse into Minecraft, yep. right? Which is procedurally generated and can go on forever and ever. And there's unlimited numbers. Do you think it's possible that Minecraft could become the, uh, the, the unifying metaverse of all of them? Well, not necessarily Minecraft, but we have some very interesting, same, same idea. We have some interesting companies um, that we are advising for and have invested in one of them being firework games um, that is a you know space exploration shooter etc but at the core will have procedurally generated planets and the various different planets that are procedurally generated will have procedurally generated cities and within these cities you will have you know a variety of different um play to earn games uh, you can have a tower defense game when you land on the planet. You know to get into the city. Once you got into the city, because you've got the layer one of the tower defense game, you have a street fighter type game. You know that you play on the streets of that city that you just entered through the tower defense, winning level one of tower defense, and then you enter into a casino and you play. You know blackjack for money. Um, and some of these games could be based on you know firework games developing them, and some of them would be games that other uh, game manufacturers bring into this into this into this procedurally generated world. That obviously, uh, just like in Minecraft, really has no end. On the Minecraft front, what's really interesting, and I think similar to Minecraft, there's a lot of, not a lot, but a bunch of other um, games like that out there. Uh, we have companies like Gaiman, uh, also another company we're advising for, um, that has a server site plugin that allows you to instantly add a token, a white labeled token economy, and NFT marketplace to Minecraft. In the future, they'll do it for Call of Duty and Fortnite and all those other things. But literally, a plugin that works with any kind of service side game to create a token economy 
and a NFT marketplace. So to your point about uh, would it be possible to have, you know, things like Minecraft be kind of like one of the major gateways into some of these things? Absolutely. But again, I don't think there'll be a single player that will that will win the race or, or lead the race even. I think there's going to be a variety of these things, just like we have right now, a large variety of different gaming titles. And almost around every single gaming title, you know, some have more or a larger audience, some have a smaller audience, but you have audiences around all of them. There's even still people playing Pong and some ridiculous things like that. And yeah, so certain games, you know, get a much smaller following. Um, Call of Duty, you know, wasn't popular for a while. Now they released their open world and it's more popular again. So now, you know, Apex is becoming less popular, but they still have, comparatively speaking, huge followings. So I think it will be more akin to that, right? We have different metaverses. One becomes more, okay, different VR spaces. One becomes more popular, you know, for a couple of years. Then another one comes up with some other cool new features that becomes more popular for a couple of years. And then it's just going to be this, this ongoing thing. But people, they won't care, right? They'll just traverse across all of them and just spend a bunch of time here, uh, spend a bunch of time there, uh, go, go into a totally different one for content and entertainment, you know, going to another one that's usually generated to play a bunch of games. I think that's going to be the evolution of it as opposed to one clear winner, you know, Minecraft or anything else. Mm, that's a great take. And and uh, Minecraft, you know, Notch, uh, Marcus, uh, Mar Marcus Pearson, something like that, he sold, uh, he sold Minecraft to Microsoft in 2014 for $2.5 billion. Can you imagine how much Minecraft would be worth if it was built on the blockchain? Like you got Axie Infinity's worth $7 billion and it has, it has nowhere near the reach that Minecraft has. I can only say that I think if Notch had, had built Minecraft a little bit later or held out for the crypto world, Minecraft would be a $20 billion company. I mean, the, to the tokens for Minecraft would be just out of this world. But here we are right now where, my where Minecraft really has no tokens associated with it because Microsoft owns it, right? So it's like... Well, num number one... Right. Number one, you're totally correct. The number would be absolutely outrageous. I think it'd be even higher than $20 billion, number one. But number two, enter company, a company like Gaming, right? That literally allows you to add a token to Minecraft and and and, and have you know, server-side for server-side gaming have a 1.6 billion plus player addressable market. Um, and instead of going after the you know $67 million NFTs or even 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 you know, one thousand dollar NFTs, or after you know fifty cent and one dollar and two dollar pickaxes in Minecraft, you know, but do a billion transactions a month instead of instead of you know a thousand transactions a month. So crazy, this economy, well, man! It's such a it's such a fun, crazy world we're entering into, and it's just the baby steps. And so, let me ask you this: I guess as maybe one of the final questions is, how are you determining which ones do you think are going to be a winner? Because you're doing a lot of research over there at your capital company, and you're 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 diving in. I know we've had conversations on on WhatsApp and groups here in, in Puerto Rico, and I've seen that you've done some great research and you found some great winners. Like, what type of research are you doing that might maybe help some of our listeners when they're thinking about how to navigate the space? Uh, that's a little bit of a of a complicated, open ended question, similar to you know how much money does it cost to build a ship? Such a know, question critiquer over here. Ted. I mean, <laughs> I, have to, I have to caveat it because, uh, you know, people listen, a lot of people listen to what I say, and I want to be careful in what I say is that people don't do dumb things. But, you know, in essence, it's a lot of components, right? It's, it's analyzing the team. 
analyzing the team's experience, analyzing the technology, analyzing the scalability of the technology, analyzing the tokenomics, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, there's no one single thing that makes a project successful. In addition to that, diversification is key. So even if you think right, that this one project has the best of everything because based on your analysis on every single aspect of it, it's a 10 out of 10, well, something unexpected could happen to this project and it will fail. So number one, analyze as many of these aspects that I mentioned and, and, and more. And number two, you know, diversify and don't just get into one project, you know, get into 10 projects. And chances are that one or two or three out of them are going to do you know, exceptionally well. Well, and initially, you know, when these companies come out uh, right now, because it's such an early phase, whether or not they make it long term, most often tokens go up for a time. Right. And investors are able to pull a little bit of money out. So it's been my belief that um, since it is now official and I believe Bloomberg has has named 2021 the year of the NFT, although we said it in 2020, it would be because we are futurists. Uh, 2022 is the year of play to earn. And then I think 2023, the metaverse is the next, you know, the next thing. But I think there's going to be a lot of talk about play to earn first. And it's my belief that 2022 is going to find us with more um, sub 20 year olds becoming millionaires than ever before in history. And that's going to be the big story. Would you concur or do you see some other things unfolding? I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely agree with that statement. I'm sure other things will unfold as well, but but not at the expense of that statement. That will absolutely be the case. The the transfer of wealth that is happening right now and will continue to happen for the foreseeable future is absolutely unprecedented in the history of humanity. And yeah, uh, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with the statement. It's going to be the new flex. I mean, right now, you know, the stars in the, the junior highs and high schools are the, the TikTokers and Instagram. <laughs> yeah. right? But I think that that's going to give way to the, the gamers that are, yep. you know, going home from school and click, 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 click. And are just banking and may, and their parents are going, well, I don't need to work anymore. Guess who's paying for their own college if they choose <laughs> to go to college? Yep. Yep. That is correct. I mean, <clears throat> case in point, um, we pulled our 14-year-old, not 14-year-old back then, 13-year-old uh, out of um, middle school. And his curriculum, his homeschooling curriculum for this year is number one, building NFT collections. Number two, crypto gaming. And number three, crypto trading on decentralized exchanges. Oh, my gosh. You're the best parent ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's the most, literally the most essential thing that you could possibly teach a child these days. You know? I do have one question because we've created a lot of different art and stuff. Like, what are the best tools, you know, like to create objects and items for these metaverses? Right. Because it's like, is there a certain program? They need to be 3D. Like. What is my, my daughter's pretty artsy in, in Minecraft and I'm thinking she should probably start building items and stuff, but like, what does someone use? What graphic protocols are needed for creating items in these metaverse games? Well, so it, it depends, right? <clears throat> if we're talking about two dimensional items, then you have Photoshop, you have yeah. Adobe Illustrator, <clears throat> uh, you have uh, pixel art type programs, you know, where we're talking about the, the CryptoPunks. Um, we have uh, in the 3D space, you know, we have Blender on the Mac, you know, obviously more, a little bit more advanced ones, but I think they've all free educational versions, uh, 3D Studio Max, etc. So it, it, it depends on whether you want to go 2D, 3D, number one. And number two, it depends on where uh, you are trying to, you know, 
emulate a certain style uh, and line artwork or pixel artwork or you know photographic artwork or where you want to add audio to it as well uh, it is usually my recommendation for anybody getting into the space to just experiment with all the different tools out there right just experiment with art and see what you enjoy doing the most and then figure out a way to proceduralize it right because you can right. create you know one underlying asset then all the other you know components that give it rarity on top and then have it procedurally generate you know ten thousand of these things like that kid that did the whale series made like four hundred thousand dollars in a couple of months right sale selling selling uh, whale nfts we want to have people walking around metaverses wearing bad crypto hats and nifty show shirts and stuff right joel absolutely absolutely the way to do it sure. get your gear on guys well theo this is uh this is great stuff really appreciate you coming on today alpha crypto.capital is the official website um do you like people to follow you on twitter or insta or somewhere in the yeah, decentralized twitter. social world twitter yeah twitter is what we do and it's alpha crypto ai on twitter but the twitter link is also linked from our website perfect thanks bro absolutely thanks so much for having me guys appreciate it I tell you, the dude's got a lot to say. Thanks, Theo. Looking forward to getting together in person. There's so many people on this island that I want to get with, Trev. Like, there's just so much. You're such a floozy. I thought you were a chiropractor were having a thing. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, Mr. Collum, you need an adjustment. Not, oh. just, your, not just your attitude. <laughs> well, here's the deal my my back has been bothering me for months my lower back especially has been bothering me like i get out of bed and it's like oh i'm getting get old I mean, yeah. and and i couldn't figure out like why you know is it because i'm not walking as much as as i used to i'm at my standing desk most of the day so i don't think it's that i finally figured it out it was the furniture in the place i bought this place and it had some pottery barn furniture but it was well used it was loved on right and it was okay. really soft and i was sitting on that sofa and in the chairs just about every day i went and bought uh new furniture for our living room my back is great now it's really you know, i told i told the Cairo, i'm like furniture fix it he's like son of a bitch like you know you just you, you where'd you get the new furniture from um rooms to go Okay. How long did it take to get there? Uh, actually, it's not all here yet. Most of it is here. The key pieces are here. We're missing like a, um, a chaise attachment for it. Um, but it only took like three weeks, two to three weeks to get the main piece here. It'll be February before the rest arrives because most things move slower here. But um, just to say, my back feels great now. And it was just replacing the sofa. Uh, you know what? Because sometimes you're sitting on that sofa and your back's kind of doing a little hmm. Uh huh. Instead yep. of having it where you're sitting up a little better, I didn't have the, that. Didn't have the Actually, support. Actually, there's a um, there's this group here in uh, in Puerto Rico um, that I got added to recently. It's called um, what is the name of it? It's, it's about longevity. It is the Life Extension Meetup, and there's a bunch of awesome people up in there. And uh, so I asked, like, oh. Who are some people who do good body work in, around the island? And it's like, I got a couple of great masseuses. I got a couple of great chiropractors, uh, acupuncturists, and some other energy work. And I was like, oh, man, I need to go see some people. Because, like, that's it. Your your body is your spaceship here on Mothership mm -hmm. Earth. And so if, you're, if your body is not working, then you ain't working. So and you so got three chiropractors, two acupuncturists, and a naturalist. 
with the dances around with chicken feathers. Perfect. Oh yeah. That's good. <laughs> Those are the best. They have chicken yeah. feathers and they dance around that you're going to get well. Like well, just... they got to have a drum beat. They got to have a drum, like a whole drum section of people. It's like, it's healing. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to check out the show notes with the links from this episode, badco.in forward slash five, seven, eight is the place to be. And oh, by the way, I just realized by the time this episode airs, it, it's 2022. Happy New Year, everybody. Wow. Happy New Year. It's Happy New Year now. Yeah, it's because uh, this this episode will go out on Sunday, the 2nd wow. of January. So this is the very first episode of 2022. Happy New Year. Make 2022 your biatch, people. Yeah. Make Stay it good. the year. Have a good one. I mean, I've already broken my resolution that I didn't make. <laughs> you know, you know why resolution people don't keep resolutions? Because they're not resolute. Yeah, they're, they're really not. You, you have to really want it. And what I, what I realized is that you're not making resolutions. You're making decisions. Because with a resolution, what do you say? I'm going to try to quit smoking. I'm going to try to eat less. I'm going to try to exercise more. Well, that's not a decision. That is saying, I try. And as Yoda once said, there is no try, only do. The moment you say you're going to try to do something, you've just set yourself up for failure because you've given yourself an out. Well, I think I think it's been weakened over time because to be resolute is marked with firm determination. Mm-hmm. A resolution is something that should be backed with firm determination instead of some of this weak, saucy shit. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Most people's resolutions are not actual resolutions. They say they're going to try to do something. So, you know, if you're going to do it, then, then decide. And I don't know about you, but for me, um, it's a decision that guarantees my success, right? If you know in advance, if you can, as Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind, you know where you're going, then it's just a matter of working backwards to get there because you already see the destination. Well, if you're not going to resolve to do anything else for 2022, and we hope that the year finds you with many sick crypto gains and great fun with the NFTs and play to earn and the MetaVi, so I'm uh-huh. going to call them now, multiple metaverses or MetaVi. Um, if you're going to make one resolution, it should definitely be to stay bad. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I guess actually we'll see you in Miami. If you guys are going to the North American Bitcoin Conference, oh yeah, uh, I guess it's 2022 now. Like if it's 2022 now, here it is, and conference coming around the corner. So yeah, yeah. this will be this will be the first time we're um, at a, a conference together since ETH Denver 2020, right? Mm. Yeah. So was we were ETH Denver at- after ETH Denver. ETH Denver was after uh, NYC. Yeah, right? it was. It was February. Okay. They were both February, I think. Maybe, maybe. But Jesus, we're on the same island and we see each other enough. By the way, you need to come by the house, man. I got a bunch of new things hung up and things all organized, all badassly. And uh, did you just invite everybody to come by your house? Come on by the house, yeah. Come on by. The are we gonna do? Are we gonna do a, a Puerto Rico um, party this? You know, this year and, and actually invite fans and come hang out at the Travilla. Do a, maybe do, do a one day event poolside. Maybe if you buy the NFT, you can come in. Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe we'll get an NFT holder. Maybe we'll sell an NFT that gets you guys access to come hang out with us for one day. Would you like that? Uh, email us at cryptopodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. And can we wrap up the show now? Oh, yes. Yeah, go ahead and stay back. Guys.
Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. We're changing it up now. Hey, you guys, stay back, you guys. Hey, 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 you guys. Don't get These guys are unlistenable. Still, they're still talking words. Don't I stopped stay. listening long ago. Three years ago, they were good. Don't just stay. Stay bad. <laughs> now they got opinions. They think they're somebody smart. They're not. They're still dumb. They're just more wealthy. <laughs> I hear Tukey. Tukey's seconding that. Yeah, Tukey's, oh, I think there's the cows up there. The cows have come home? The cows have come home. I'm going to go check. Stay back.